0: Tonight, we're going to continue in our biblical teaching series, uh, going through the Bible. Um, Tonight's uh, message is on the book of Ruth. This is the first time that it's centered around a woman or a couple of women, women, and that it's not um, just man-based, you know, that there was in the last book of Judges, Deborah, she was raised up as a judge, that was very unlikely, you know, that you know, women would be used in that those days, that they would be respected as leaders. You know, here is a, another book that's completely telling the story of a woman, you know, and what she went through. Now, this book is also set in the time of Judges. So this is kind of going on at the same time, you know, so what we were talking about last week with all the chaos that's going on in in the promised land, all the chaos that's going on in Israel and Judah, you know, and how... They keep messing up and keep slipping and keep going back to, you know, worshiping idols and and getting intermixed with the tribes that were around them, even though they've been warned over and over again through Moses and through, uh, Joshua that it just proves that we, you know, are dummies. You know, how many times do we go back and do things that we don't want to do? You know, how many times do we say that we're not going to do something and we end up doing it? You know, I love it that Paul writes that in the New Testament, you know, and, you know, the, one of the men that have written two thirds of the New Testament <laughs> struggled. You know, it gives me hope. You know, it, it should give us all hope that, you know, he wrote, like, why can't I do the things I want to do? Why can't I do these good things? Why do I keep doing these wrong things? You know, it's in my sin nature, and that thing has to be destroyed. And that's the same thing that they were struggling with way back then. It's the same stuff that we struggle with today. You know, so, there's this family, and there's a famine going on in the land. You know, and it's an Israelite family, you know, and they see that there's prosperity going on outside of their territory, even though they've been warned, told not to intermix with the, those other tribes, not to go hang out with those people. Who actually, they're supposed to kill them. And the father of this family decides, like, we're going to go to Moab. You know, and Moab is... is A territory, they worship, you know, you know, different types of gods, you know, the, the root of their, you know, nation is incest and sexual perversion, you know, and God is telling them not to go to these places and yet they go anyway because they can't see what God is doing in their own land and and in their own time. You know, so they choose to leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab. Well, shortly after being there, the guy that makes the decision to reject God and, and go hang out with the tribes that he shouldn't be hanging out, he dies. So then this widow has two sons and she's doing the best that she can. Now, this is, you know, a, a man-based society. Women did not really work. They served the family. They mothered the children. You know, women didn't have sources of income. They could not just go get a job. Most likely a, a widow. Would have to fend for herself in the sense that she would either become a prostitute or she would sell herself into slavery to take care of herself and her kids. So, selling herself into slavery is selling her kids into slavery. You know, and somehow she managed to get by. Her sons, however, marry Moabite women. You know, because they're not in Israel, they're not around you know, their tribes, so they're intermixing with the world, they're intermixing with people they shouldn't be intermixing with necessarily and you know they marry these Moabite women even though the the Torah you know the Pentateuch the five books of the Bible there's warnings about this Moses tells us don't do this and they do it anyway well guess what they die too so here's Naomi and now not only is she a widow but she had two kids two sons and those sons were to you know take care of her and they end up marrying the wrong girls from the other side of the tracks and they end up dying too you know so Naomi not really knowing what to do her whole family has been destroyed you know and she knows that she's going to have to either become a prostitute or sell herself into slavery she basically tells you know his you know her daughter-in-laws and saying I'm leaving this place this isn't my land this isn't my you know cup of tea per se and and I'm going home to Bethlehem, you know. So she tells these, you know, two daughter-in-laws, one's name is Ruth and the other one's Opa, you know, and that's a wonderful name for any, you know, future daughters that you may have. You can name your daughter Orpa, you know. <clears throat> and then Ruth, you know, and if the names were on the other, you know, if the name was on the other foot, per se, that there might be a lot of women that we would have named Orpah and not Ruth. But Ruth became a common name and Orpah not so much. But anyway, she tells them that I'm leaving. Go back to your families. Go back to your gods. You know, I have nothing for you. I have no more sons for you to marry. I have no way to take care of you. I'm barely making it by myself. You know, it's very (laughs) hopeless. And Orpah's like, alright, peace. You know, she cries bitterly. They must have had a decent relationship. You know, that, that she was mourning, but she saw that, you know, there was nothing for her. She didn't want to go to Jerusalem. That's not her God. So she went back to her family, went back to worshiping her God without any restraints. But Ruth, how on the other hand, tells Naomi that I'm going with you wherever you're going. You know, there's this devotion in, in Ruth that you know, wasn't in Orpah, you know, so, you know, Ruth makes this declaration of devotion to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, you know, and this is like a big deal, you know, that she's willing to, you know, give up her family, she realizes that Naomi has nothing for her, but she's devoted, you know, there's something in her heart that's devoting her, to Naomi and I got to tell you being devoted is one of the biggest things that we struggle with that we're not committed we're not devoted to you know people we're not devoted to a church we're not devoted to serving God that we just do whatever we want to do like devotion in a sense is this powerful piece of our character that when we're running and gunning the only thing that we're de- Uh, devoted to is getting high and getting drunk. You know, and coming to Jesus, being devoted, being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, being consistent, having, you know, honor and integrity and that your word means something. This is something that changes in us as we grow with Jesus. And I'm telling you, as you work on being devoted, when you say you're going to do something and you do it, when you say you're going to be somewhere and you be there, no matter what the cost. Now obviously there's situations that come up. But I know for me, I was so flippant. You know, I would say I'd do something and I wouldn't do it. I'd say I'd be somewhere and I wouldn't be there. You know, I would say that you could count on me and you couldn't count on me. But being devoted to someone is such this powerful thing that God uses in people's lives. And we're going to see how Ruth's devotion to Naomi changes the scenario. Like she totally could have said, yep, I'm out, I'm going home. But she stayed devoted, not knowing what was going to come, not knowing if she was ever going to get taken care of, not knowing God, not knowing where she was headed. She'd never been out of her little tiny town, you know, in district of Moab. So she's going with Naomi wherever she goes. But Naomi's got this, you know, brokenness that she's like, you know, God has, has cursed me. You know, he's taken away my family, I'm changing my name to Mara, and Mara means bitterness. You know, and there's times that when we go through things in our lives, that we begin to own our bitterness. We begin to, to get our eyes off of God, and we have this bitterness deep down in our heart. But we're gonna see how Ruth's devotion to Naomi breaks off the bitterness You know, there's times that we go through things. Sadness comes. Depression comes. I had years stuck in depression. Years stuck with anger and bitterness. Years stuck in these places. And it's only God's first devotion to me, but then my devotion to the local church, and my devotion to this ministry, and my devotion to certain pastors, and saying, you can count on me, that my old ways of thinking and my old ways of living started to break off through devotion. You know, just like if we were going to be devoted to the gym. Like, you can't go whenever you want. You know, you have to be devoted. You have to come up with, you know, a cycle. You gotta come with consistency if you're ever going to see physical, healthy growth. And spirituality is the same way. We need to be devoted to reading our Bibles. We need to be devoted to being in a local church. We need to be devoted to, to going to meetings. We need to be devoted to maybe coming here. You know, that's something that you have to pray about, that's something that you have to make, you know, consideration of like, what is helping me to change, what's helping me to grow, what's helping me to get away from my old ways of living, and you have to make those decisions, not in an emotional state, but when you get devoted to something, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, that you stick and stay. Now, I've watched people through the years, you know, that they're in their recovery And they're not devoted, but they're doing okay. And then all of a sudden this job comes up. And all of a sudden church goes out the window. All of a sudden this girl comes up. Or this guy comes out of of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, the relationship is I'm devoted to her. I'm devoted to him. And, And your recovery and your spirituality gets thrown out the window. Because why? We're devoted to sin. We need to get devoted to God, get devoted to holiness, and begin to learn how to live again. You know, we know how to survive in this crazy world. Like, you throw us into Moab, we'd be like, rocking and rolling. You know, uh, they're, you know, they're worshiping perversion. They're worshiping whatever they, they can do whatever they want to do. That's our type of crowd. You know, but here, you know, Ruth is saying, no, I'm not going to go home and be a slave. I'm not going to go home and be a prostitute. I'm going to be devoted to Naomi. I have no idea where we're going, but somehow her God is going to get us through this. You know, so they show back up, you know, in in Bethlehem, you know, and they're trying to figure out what are they going to do for food. Now, written into the law, you know, that if you had a harvest, you would leave a chunk of it, you know, just as like the farmers are plowing and, and getting the corn, you'd see a row that they miss or the corners missed because the tractor can't kind of make that and they'd leave that there for the deer. Kind of the same that as they're picking, you know, they don't have tractors, but they're picking, they would leave sections for the widows and for the beggars and for the poor, that if they could get off their lazy butts, they could go have some food. You know, and this was kind of written in, the, you know, so Naomi is like, well, I know this guy, you know, or I know this place, and they go, and they start picking through the land, and they're they're picking the barley, you know, and what... I don't think that she realized in the moment is that she was actually picking on one of her relatives' land. So when she saw him, she's like, hey, I know that guy. I remember him from before. And this is where Boaz comes into the equation. You know, that through their relationship, you know, that now she felt a little bit more comfort. You know, that there's somebody in my family that's gonna, you know, I'm home. You know, and she's not alone necessarily, even though that Ruth's there, that being able to to pick on this guy's land was really a comfort to her. But what Boaz noticed is that this Ruth woman had this noble character, that she was serving Naomi, even though there was no real reward for her. You know, that she's not going to get anything necessarily. But, you know, it kind of it kind of mentions that Boaz notices Ruth. And I'm thinking that Ruth was kind of a hottie. I'm just, you know, that's my own interpretation. You can take it for what it is. But, you know, when a man notices, then a man notices. You know, and I also see something else that he notices is that he notices that she's serving. She notices, he notices her devotion to Naomi. You know, and there's something about character that is very important as we begin to change. Because I didn't have a very good character. I was a character, but I didn't have any character. You know, and this same terminology that that's written in this is the same terminology as it talks about a noble woman in Proverbs 31. And all you ladies are familiar. Most of you are familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, and all us guys are like, yeah, that's the type of wife I want because she's going to knit me mittens and, and make me food. <clears throat> you know, but you know, this is old school. We didn't have Walmart, you know, <clears throat> you know, so Boaz is like, here's my, you know, cousin and here's this woman who's serving her that's probably a hottie. And he tells his servants to leave a little extra. You know, and, and Naomi is most likely a little up in years, you know, and, and Ruth one day is like, I'll go take care of this. You stay here and rest. So she goes to the next field to pick, and there's like so much food. And she's like bringing all this food back that Naomi's like, where did you get it? Where did you get all this food? And she's like, well, this guy Boaz left it for me. And Naomi's like you met Boaz like there's this connection like Naomi's like seeing like maybe there's something that could possibly happen here you know see Boaz is obeying scripture he's obeying the law he's obeying God and doing what he's doing and so is Ruth even though she doesn't really know Yahweh she doesn't she's never read the, the Torah she's never read the books of Moses but yet Something in her, this devotion in her character and serving is starting to resonate. You know, that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to take care of the immigrants and the refugees. You know, this is a a refugee hub. You know, that it's one of just a few places in the world where, you know, there's been so many refugees. Now they've saved our city, whether you believe it or not. And some people have a a lot of trouble with some of the refugees. Like they're stealing jobs, but yet they're sitting home on food stamps. And that's a whole different story. You know, there's jobs out there if you want to go get a job. You know, I promise you. You know, and they're not stealing anything that you're not giving up. You know, and it's, it's important to realize that our grandparents were refugees. Somewhere down the road, we didn't wake up and say, you know what, I, I, I've been born in America. You know, like, I don't know anybody in here that's a Native American, So that means somebody from our history decided to get on a boat and and come to America because they were immigrants and they were refugees and they have just as much, you know, you know, in stake in this land as we do. You know, that's the great thing about America, you know, in a sense. So anyway, you know, that, I lost my voice. No, you know, that Boaz is obeying the Torah, you know, he's taking care of the refugees and and one day Boaz is like, "You know what I'm going to pray for you, you know and he prays that God would reward her for her devotion, you know that God would take care of her because you know that there's you know this hardship that's going on you know there's these women that they're basically farmers now they're they're taking care of themselves. It's not normally what they would be doing, you know <clears throat> there was really a gender roles in the Bible, you know and certain things were. The way that they are. You know. And certain things have changed. You know. that There's nothing wrong with. You know. People getting jobs. Women working. Yada yada yada. But there's certain aspects that. You know. As we operate. Biblically. The way we're supposed to. God rewards us. So Boaz is taking care of Naomi and Ruth. And as a spiritual covering. He's praying for them. You know. So. You know. Naomi is just overjoyed by everything that's going on here. You know. That She. Can't even believe that things are happening so fast. You know, that just going home to Israel, really being obedient to God, because she should have never been in Moab anyway. You know, so she's going back to the homeland where she should have never left. And obviously things didn't work out real well in in Moab, but the famine was definitely gone because Boaz has plenty to give away. You know, so sometimes when we think the grass is greener on the other side, it's not always greener on the other side. We think then I'm going to go over here and get prosperous. But what we end up doing is losing everything. And if we would just sit still when we don't have what we think we need, that God shows us that He's our provider, not of our own means. You know, and this is one of the hardest things for me to do and us to do is sit still when everything inside of us is saying, run away, run, go get this. If I don't do it for myself, who's going to do it for me? And God loves putting in these, us in these types of situations where He shows us that He's His, He's our provider when we can say that nothing else was working. You know, so I really encourage you before you, you run or you go off to something, you need to sit still for a minute or three and, and really pray and, and seek people and get some counsel and, and really bounce our, your decision off of somebody that might tell you no. You know, something that was told to me many, many, many years ago, and it stuck with me through all these years, and and I'll pass this on to you. Who is in your life right now that can tell you no and you'll stop doing what you're doing? And when I heard that, there was not one person that I would ever let tell me no. And there's something about having allowing somebody to tell you no and you respecting that person enough to stop And to not do something or to to not go after something because you're trusting their wisdom, you're trusting their walk. You know, it doesn't mean that you're letting them control you. It means that you're allowing them to speak into your life in a level that you've never let somebody before. Like, I never let my parents tell me no. You know, so here I am a grown man in my 30s and I'm starting to learn how to have people in my life tell me no. And like the first time somebody told me no, it's like, you know, like there's this thing on the inside of me that wants to flare up because I'm doing this my way. Well, part of surrendering our will is is one to God and two to other people. You know, that's such an important piece. And it doesn't mean control, but our brain says control. Why? Because I have a rebellious heart and I see authority as controlling. And when I have a submitted heart, I see authority as protection. Now that doesn't mean that authority is perfect. Doesn't mean that the authority couldn't be controlling. But, as we process this, we learn who we can trust and who we can't, and we're trying to realize, I can't really trust myself, so I need other people to speak into my blind spot sometimes. You know, so this is a, a very important piece for us to learn As we grow with the Lord and as we grow, you know, in our recovery. Well, there's this principle that God had written into the Torah, the the Pentateuch, and it's called the Kinsman Redeemer. You know, and it was foreseen, you know, that there might be a widow and your husband dies and then what are you going to do? Well, your family should come in and take care of you. You know, and, and they called it a Kinsman Redeemer. Because he was your kin, you know, he was your family and he would come in, you know, and he would marry you or one of your daughters or daughter-in-laws and that the inheritance would stay in the other family and that he wouldn't just take everything over. You know, he, if he had a son or a daughter, that that inheritance that was passed on from the man who had died gets passed on to that son so that that family line stays alive. You know, and, and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. You know, he comes in and he restores us and he redeems us. You know, and it's this foreshadowing of sacrifice. It's this foreshadowing of laying down your life for someone else. It's your foreshadowing of taking care of somebody else. You know, in this, in this sense. <clears throat> you know, so this thing is starting to play out. Like, you know, Naomi is kind of probably whispering into Boaz's ear about how Ruth is, you know, pretty awesome. And and, and Boaz is noticing that, noticing that Ruth's uh, character and um, serving ability and probably her assets were kind of nice for him. It, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just being honest because he's a man and, and I happen to be one too. But anyway, <laughs> you know that – you know – and Ruth is basically saying that, you know, he comes to Boaz and, and and there's this moment where he's like amazed at her, you know, her ability and her, you know, proud of who she is, you know, and that she is, you know, able to step forward. You know, there's times that, you know, pride can lead us down the wrong way, but we should be proud of who we are. You know, I was not proud of who I used to be. But I am proud to be a man of God today. I am proud to be sober today. I am proud to be working on myself that I'm not just letting anything just go willy-nilly in my life. That I can have an aspect of being proud, but I shouldn't have pride. And there's a difference. You know, I shouldn't be arrogant and tell everybody how awesome I am, but, you know, I shouldn't be this insecure, you know, man either that I should be you know, being renewed in Christ, that my identity is in Christ, that I can be proud to be a Christian in, in spite of all the, the negativity gets thrown at us. You know, that we are representing something bigger than ourselves. You know, so you know, Boaz is seeing this. You know, in this woman, and it's really, you know, he's you know not for nothing, but he's starting to think that maybe I can be this you know kinsman redeemer for this family. So. He's about to go in front of the elders, you know, and, and let everybody know. Once again, we see Boaz submitting to authority, asking for permission. You know, when's the last time we ask for permission to do anything? Uh, never. You know, we just do stuff. You know, and then we, oh, I should, sorry about that. I probably shouldn't have done that. And we knew we shouldn't have. But, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness later than ask for permission. That stuff gets us in trouble. You know, and I've learned that having godly authority has protected me you know, in such a way that I ask for permission sometimes. And there's times that my pastors have told me, no, I don't think that that's a good idea. And sometimes I I, I can feel it on the inside of me, like, Arr! but I've learned that my will, my way leads to destruction. So maybe if I learn how to do this, because I don't know how to be a very good Christian. I don't know how to 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 live sober. I've never done those things apart from someone else teaching me how to do it. And so often we get a little bit of sobriety or a little bit of Jesus and we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. I can do this. And we watch ourselves kind of get crazy sometimes. And we've watched, I've watched so many people leave, leave, leave the church, leave for a relationship, leave for a job. And where are they? Some of them are dead. I'm just being honest. You know, and she was a good girl. You know, she's married to somebody else now and I know where you're buried. You know, and like we need to realize that there's times that people that love us and sometimes their authorities you know are trying to help us, so Boaz is going before the elders and, and telling his his idea you know he 's going to make this you know you know a thing he 's going to marry you know Ruth, but he learns that there's this other relative that 's closer to Naomi that he would be the one that would end up being the kinsman redeemer well. That other relative doesn't know who Ruth is, but Boaz is building this relationship with her. He's noticed her; she has character, you know. He's impressed with who she is and what she's doing and how she's serving. So she goes to his relative and be like, you know, I'm thinking about marrying this mulbite woman. So he's (laughs) he's like kind of manipulating this scenario, and he's like, well, if you were to do it, you know, you'd have to give up your first son, right? He's like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. He'd never met Ruth; he'd never laid his eyes on Ruth. So here Boaz is kind of manipulating the situation, you know, and I don't know about you, I get much respect for people to try to mi- manipulate in the Bible. Because it gives me some hope, you know. <clears throat> because I had a PhD in manipulation. You know, most of us do. You know, we're master manipulators, you know. And today, you know, God uses that, you know, in my life because it, it's really hard to manipulate me these days because of what God has done in my life. But anyway, you know, we learn how to have boundaries. We learn how to, have, to live a different way. But Boaz is like, you know, this is a good woman and, and I'm not letting this guy, you know, take her out from underneath me. So he's like, no, you can have her, you know, and Boaz moves on and begins to the process of taking, you know, Ruth as his wife, <clears throat> you know, and it's so important that we, we realize You know, there's a statement, I heard it from Jensen Franklin, and I think there's a a few others that have thrown it around out there, you know, that there's this kind of funny thing that they bring on about Boaz, and I'm going to read it. To all you girls who are in a hurry to have a boyfriend or get married, here's a, a bit of biblical advice. Ruth patiently waited for her mate, Boaz, while you are waiting for your Boaz. Don't settle for any of his relatives—broke as, po as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, locked up as, good for nothing as, lazy as—and especially his third cousin, beat yo as. <clears throat> Wait on your bo so he respects yo as, and it's just amazing. You know, and it's so important that we aren't doing what we used to do. Because I would care to say, even the guys, we've dated some of those asses. You know, and <laughs> that came out awesome. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, it's important that we're you know wanting godly character today. You know, I learned a long time ago that opposites may attract, but character attracts character. You know, and how many times have we, you know, looked past character and, and because I related with somebody, got into a relationship and later learned that this person's dishonest, this person's, you know, a liar, a thief, you know, and, and we have to stop relating to people through our pain and our past and start to relate to people through godliness and godly character and, and what Christ is doing in our lives and their lives. You know, if we want to break off the way we used to do stuff, this is an important piece of the puzzle is that we're looking at a person's character, not just, you know, noticing them, if you know what I mean. So, you know, here we are as as Boaz manipulates the situation. But, see, Boaz is being devoted to Naomi. You know, even though that Ruth is going to be his wife, you know, when they have a son, if they have a son that that son is going to carry on Naomi's family line. You know, that her land that was passed on to her through her husband that had died ends up going to Boaz and Ruth's firstborn sons. So that that family inheritance, family was such a a big thing back then. You know, and and today families are are very broken. You know, honestly, I, I believe that it's the enemy's attack upon the father role in the family system that most of us grew up without dads you know, and, you know, and how it's destroyed the family. You know, there's very rare now that you see somebody that was married for 30, 40, 50 years. My grandparents were married over 50 years, but my, my parents have been divorced three times. You know, so when I grew up, I didn't want anything to do with marriage. I'm never getting married because I didn't want what my parents had. But now that I have God, I see what my godly grandparents had, and that's something that I desire, you know, <clears throat> that I never thought that I would have want or have you know so as God's changed my character and my desires you know I want godly things you know so you know here's this devotion to Naomi you know see God is redeeming and reversing the brokenness you know as Naomi got led into Moab and her family completely got destroyed you know as you know she went back to God, God is reversing everything that went wrong. He's bringing, you know, the kinsman redeemer in. He's bringing Boaz in, you know, in the broken decisions that we've made, you know, in, the, in our brokenness. God is reversing that in our lives as we press into Jesus, as we learn and we, we press into His Word that we're, we're learning that no matter how crazy our past has been, that does not dictate what's going to happen in our future. Now that, You know, we have to work through some character stuff. We have to grow. We have to mature spiritually and emotionally. You know, and as we're obedient to God and God's Word, He does things that we would never think would ever happen. You know, I say it all the time. If you would have convinced... There's no way you would have convinced me that this is what I would be doing with my life. You know, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with religion. I didn't want anything to do with the church. You know, and as I in my brokenness i looked for help you know and i accept jesus many years ago not because i wanted to go to heaven or afraid to go to hell it's because i was i didn't know what to do with the pain inside you know and it's so important that we recognize that we still got pain just because you're sober today and just because you got a little bit of jesus doesn't mean that all your past has been sorted through but jesus can heal that you know his wounds prior to you know the death upon the cross Or for, are for healing in this day and age. That there's an inheritance that we can have now that we don't just get an inheritance when we get to go to heaven. And we hear all these people that are ready for the rapture and ready to go home. Just take me now, Jesus. You know, I have stuff to do. There is stuff that Jesus wants to do with me in this day and age that I'm not, I don't want to go to heaven. Not yet. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be eternity. There's a long time to do that. Like, I want to rock and roll here on earth and kick the devil in his teeth as much as I can. You know, and I want that inheritance. I want to walk as a godly man. I want to walk with godly character. I want to do godly things. Why? Because Jesus transformed my life and I want to represent Him to the best of my ability. And that doesn't mean messing around with the Moabs in my life. You know, we have to get set apart. We have to say, Jesus, I'm doing it your way. And there's going to be times that it's really difficult. There's going to be times that you want to go hang out in Moab because other people are hanging out in Moab and Moab looks fun and Moab's prosperous. Well, if we go to those places in our past that we used to visit, we get really broken, you know, and we end up, you know, letting everything slide out of our life, you know. So as they're, you know, you know, moving forward and they get married, You know, Ruth's act of loyalty to Naomi is what Boaz saw. So Boaz's act of loyalty to God and God's word and then became his loyalty to Naomi and to Ruth. You know, loyalty is another thing that we struggle with, you know, that most of us have been cheated on. Most of us have been lied to. Most of us have, you know, trust issues, you know, but I can't, you know, change that. All I can do is change me. And I have to learn to be a loyal person. You know, and loyal to God. You know, I can't say I believe in Jesus and then I'm off sinning every other time I can turn around. You know, why? Because it's hurting me and it's hurting other people and it hurts those people that don't believe in Jesus when we say we believe in Jesus but we're acting just like they do. It's so important that we're loyal to God and God's Word. Now, no one's expecting us to be perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But I know... That there's certain things that I should never do. And it's not because someone told me, it's because God is in my heart and I don't want to do those things. You know, for me, the fear of the Lord that brings upon wisdom is the fact that if I do certain things, God backs up a little bit. You know, and it's not that He is going anywhere too far, it's that in my sin, His holiness has to be like, yo homie, what you doing? Now if I repent to Jesus, He's like right back. You know what I mean? But a lot of times when I'm letting sin in, I'm not repenting because I'm just doing what I'm doing and I'll get back at you later, Jesus. You know, He'll forgive me one day. You know, His grace is... You know, we throw out parts of the Bible. We throw out parts of verses because I, I just want to do what I want to do. You know, and we have to stop being that type of a Christian that we heard in, you know, Judges last week that each one of them did right what was in their own eye. That I do what's right according to me. That's the way we used to live, and that's the destruction that came upon us. So as we learn to live, you know, godly lives, that we learn to be loyal. One, we need to learn to be loyal to Jesus. You know, and as we're loyal to Jesus and loyal to His Word, and then we learn to be loyal to other people, we attract loyalty. And that's something that all of us desire, but we don't know how to get. You know, and most, you know, we don't get into relationships wanting to get cheated on, but we've been in, I've been in relationships and I've cheated on, you know, and I need to be a loyal person because I want someone to be loyal to me. You know, and Jesus taught me that he's loyal to me even when I fall and slip. You know, so that's the thing that needs to work in our character as we start to learn about loyalty. Loyalty to God. Loyalty to God's Word. You know, God is at work in this whole entire story. You know, God. You know, as you, you know, it's only four chapters. So I encourage you to go home and read it. I mean, you could do it in just a, you know twenty, thirty minutes, you know, tops. You know, and kind of highlight as you go. But God isn't really mentioned in this. You know, it's the first book that you know God isn't like the forefront. You know, Naomi and Ruth are kind of the main characters. You know, where before it was God this and God that, which is the way it should be. But what this is showing is that. Naomi is doing what God's asking her to do because she's devoted. You know, Boaz is doing what she, he's supposed to be doing because he's loyal and devoted. And Ruth is learning, you know, about this, your God, you know, she makes the statement in the beginning, where you go, I go. Your people are my people. Your God's my God. She noticed something about Naomi that was different than the women from Moab. And she was willing to stick close to that person because she saw Naomi's character. You know, so as you know, we see this, you know, that even though we all believe in God, there's stuff that we should just be doing. You know, I'm the one, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but if I do, oh well. I don't think that you should pray about what you're wearing today. I don't think that you should pray if you should eat certain things, like... Well, I have to pray if I should have this for lunch. Like, I mean, if you're on a a diet or something and you have the doctor that tells you that you shouldn't be eating salt and and cholesterol, then yeah, do that. But that's when we get into the spiritual weird stuff. And I think that that's a little crazy. You know, I think that with a relationship with God on a day-to-day basis, that we're getting into His Word, that we're talking to Him, we're learning to hear Him, we're learning that wait, he's having a conversation with me and there's like a tit-for-tat. Like, I say this, he says that. Like, whoa, that's pretty weird. Like, this is a real relationship with Jesus. This isn't going through the motions of church. A real relationship with Jesus, you don't need to be weird. If you're trying to be weird because you're trying to be super spiritual, that means that Jesus is not in the equation. You're just trying to get people to think Jesus isn't in the equation. You know, but I can only be me. You know, And I have to be who God has called me to be, you know. And I've realized that, you know, in the beginning, I didn't understand Jesus at all. I thought that now I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be this weird robot. I'm going to have to listen to him, stand up, sit down all the time. You know, I'm not going to be able to be me. But what I learned is that God, He made me the way I am. There's a personality and a temperament that needs to be adjusted. Don't get me wrong. But we can be who God has made us to be. We just stop doing all the the bad stuff we stop doing all the sin and we allow him to move and that most of us are really great people with huge hearts and we care a lot and we've been hurt a lot so we have walls and masks to protect our hearts because we're afraid to be vulnerable but as we come before God and we say God I want to be used by you you know I want to to help other people find you you know and what God showed me is that Tom? You should be the Christian that you needed when you first got saved. When you, Tom, you need to be the person that you needed when you first got sober. And, and that's what's really, you know, spearheaded me into change. You know, when this meeting started, or when it was passed to me, it was way different. You know, they did it before church on a Sunday, and when they asked me to do it, I'm like, I'm changing stuff. And they're like, Well, pray about it. I'm like, No, I'm just changing stuff. It's hard enough to get addicts and alcoholics to church at all, let alone an extra couple hours early, you're gonna are gonna you're gonna do five hours of church on Sunday for an a uh, first No. It's just not gonna work. And I moved it tonight. And it used to be on Tuesday night, and it bounced to Friday, it went to Monday, back to Friday. I mean it's moved around when, you know, schedules and convenience. But I just started doing what I knew God wanted me to do. And there's certain stuff that you I mean, you have to hear what I'm saying. You shouldn't have to just pray it. You should be doing it because Jesus is in you, and you know that that's what you should be doing. Okay? You know, we should be praying, but through that relationship, we should be able to pretty much recognize that Jesus would be okay with certain stuff. And we need to stay away from the stuff that we know Jesus wouldn't be. It doesn't have to be this super spiritual thing. Because He's in our hearts. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells within us. That if we have this relationship with Him, He should be guiding us through this life without being super weird. I do not see Jesus as this super weird Christian. I see Him just walking through life, being obedient to the Father, and everybody was like, who is this person? He didn't spend time in super intercession casting out demons. He just said, it's time for you to go. And they're like... I'm out. Why? He's obedient to the Father. Now, we're not Jesus, okay? But if we become obedient with the Father, some of the spiritual warfare that we have in our lives would dissipate. We wouldn't have to fight it because we're being in God's will and the enemy can't be in God's will. So the more that we're in God's will, the enemy can't touch us. And we don't have to to get all weird and spiritual. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be stuff that happens and you should be praying. But the more that we're in God's will doing what we know Jesus is asking us to do, the less that stuff is going to mess with us. The less that stuff's gonna mess with us. You know, and God is working to restore and redeem. You know, that is the message of Jesus, and that is the message of Ruth, as she put you know God first, even though she didn't know God. Many of us didn't know Jesus. You know, even if we grew up in a Christian home, we didn't know Jesus until just recently. And now that we have Jesus, we see how He's changing our hearts and changing our minds and He's restoring us. And so it doesn't move as fast as we want it to. And it's a good thing. Because when I get what I want, normally bad things happen. You know, so, <clears throat> He's weaving all this stuff together. You know, as, as Boaz was loyal to God and as Naomi was loyal to God, Ruth learned to be loyal to God and God redeemed and changed the whole scenario. You know, and... God is moving in their lives, even though when Naomi was in Moab, she felt like she was being punished. You know, many of us, when we're in our addictions or you know, backslidden or far from God, we feel like God's punishing us. When the truth of the matter is, is the consequence to our actions is what's coming. You know, we are free to choose. We have free will, but we are not free from the consequences that come from the actions that we choose to do. Because God is God. And His truth and His word is true. And so when I live according to it, to the best of my ability, applying those principles, His promises come. When I do it my way, destruction comes. That's the promise I get. Because I know that anything I touch will be destroyed if I do it my way. You know, God is moving in this. You know, His providence. You know, His his sovereignty. You know, and... When I finally had a revelation of His sovereignty many years ago, the anxiety and the fear and the anger began to slip away because I realized that God was in control, that He was going to bring things in His time, He was going to heal me, that you know He was going to change this and move that and bring a wife and take care of the money and da-da-da-da-da-da-da in His timing, not mine. So the more I try to force my timing, my anxiety, because I'm trying to manage it, I'm trying to control it, It's out of control. What gets out of control? I get out of control because God's not behaving. If God would just behave and do the will of Tom, then we would all be good. Said no one ever. (laughs) But as I surrender and trust in his sovereignty, that I can pray, God, give me peace. Peace. I won't have anxiety right now. I'm going to trust in Your will. I trust You, Jesus, to get me through this thing right now. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is it that is it. And we throw all the scenarios at them. And when we just need to learn to be still and know He's still God. And Naomi knew that. She had to get back to God. And as she got back to God, God started to heal and restore and redeem and transform her life. That eventually... Boaz and Ruth has this baby, Obed. You know, and the joy was brought back to, to Naomi. Well, as we read through Scripture, because the Jews are real great on genealogies, Obed is the great-grandfather to David. And the, the David line is the prophecy that the Messiah is going to come out of and be part of David's house. Well, David's great grandfather, or was Obed, and his grand his mother was a Moabite. And when we look at it on the other side, that David's great grandmother is Rahab, and she was a prostitute, and she was a a Canaanite. And God moved in both of theirs when when Joshua came over and took you know control of Jericho that she's like, I'm with you and your people and your God. He's like, well, you better not screw me over because you're going to die if you do. He's like, if you stay in your house and you help us, then God will take care of you. And she did that and God took care of her that her, grand, great, or her grandson was David. So no matter where we come from in our lives, the Moabites or the Canaanites, perversion and crazy, sadistic stuff, when we get some Jesus in our lives, that he can redeem our lives that we're not cursed by what's happened in our lives. We're not cursed by what our parents done. We're not cursed by what, what we have done because Jesus takes upon the cross the curse of sin and death. So no matter where we've come from, we can know in our heart that Jesus is our Messiah and our Savior, and our Lord, our King, but His great-great-great-grandparents were really twisted individuals and far from Yahweh, far from God. But through other people, they found a relationship with God and they are part of our lineage. You know, So wherever we've come from in our lives, Jesus can do a work and do miracles. Can you just bow your heads with us? Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you that you've redeemed us, Lord. But help us to, to be loyal and devoted. Help us to, to have godly character, Lord. Help us to be a light no matter where we go. Lord, we need You so much to continue to change us. We're never going to be perfect, Lord, but we can have godly character. So, Lord, I pray that You would talk to us about some of the things that we're still allowing in our lives. Lord, help us to surrender those things and say, you know what? I want to represent You well, Lord. I want to be you know, a light in this crazy, dark world. And, Lord, the only way I can do that is if I am devoted to You and I'm loyal to You and Your Word. So, Lord, help each and every one of us have that burning flame of desire, the Holy Ghost, to get closer to who you are, Lord, and get into your words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.